music. It's the touch of the ephemeral sea in which we all swim. Whether we notice it or not, music seeps into us, creating emotions and desires that are powerful. How can it be that a couple of notes played in the right way, in the right order, and making the right sound can make you laugh or cry? It can place you back into an emotional whirlpool of both good or bad, or even heaven or hell. It can take your mind to other dimensions and fire ideas never before sparked in your brain box. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is, and it remains, Christian Overfield. And I am Martha Guzman, and we are the hosts of the Rockstar Autobiography Podcast. Join us every two weeks or sometimes more as we review autobiographies by the greatest and most famous musicians in the history of music. That was a portion of a book written by somebody who kind of falls, I guess. Uh, he, I, don't, I don't know if he qualifies as how famous this person is. This, this is somebody who could definitely walk down the street and he doesn't have to worry about being bothered, I don't think. But I'm sure his fans love him. That was Will Sargent of the band Echo and the Bunny Men. That is the book that we've read for this week. This is Martha's Choice. Um, it is. It is. I know that she's very excited. Uh, again, his name is Will Sargent. And, you know, I'm going to pass it right over to you. I know you're excited to talk about this because I know you're a big fan. Um, to me, he fits in with your Jesus and Mary chain, that whole, that whole broadband I know that you're really passionate about. I feel like he that this band fits some in that color. Scope. Yes. So, go ahead, Martha. This is your pick. Let let us know. Thank you, Christian. Um, correct as you said. This is definitely a band that I have loved for many, many years. And you know, Christian, I I've often said that, um, and you and I have talked about this too how music just connects you to people and how music can really define, you know, certain relationships and friendships that, that we've had along the way with, with people. And, you know, for me, um, middle school was a very important part of my life and part of my, my time in terms of growing up and coming into who I eventually became, it played a really big role. And I think that for many people, they look at middle school as a very awkward and weird uh, stage of life that they hate and they don't necessarily look at it fondly. And for me, middle school. Yes. Okay. And, and for me, um, it was quite the opposite experience. Seventh grade, uh, at the age of 12 was a very sort of poignant time in my musical journey of, of discovery um, because I, up until that point, I was a big Duran Duran fan, you know, as, as a little kid, mm -hmm. I really loved Duran Duran. And, and as I've shared in, in other episodes that we've had, um, I was very obsessed with music from a very young age and I was always glued to the TV to watch the latest videos and it wasn't until I was around 12 and, you know, really seventh grade that I really felt that I finally connected with people who I felt understood me up until that point. I, I always felt a little bit like 
other kids didn't really get me. And like, I didn't really have a whole lot in common with them. But seventh grade, I, I met kids who actually liked the things that I liked and who were similar to me in personality, you know, who were more into things that maybe other kids weren't into as, as much. Right. And one of those things was music. And at that point I discovered bands like the Mary chain and echo and the bunny man, the Smiths. And I was eager to share my enthusiasm with, with other kids. And I sort of found my, I really connected with other kids that were into the bands that I liked. And it was an awakening of sorts for me that I wasn't that unusual, that I wasn't, you know, this weird kid that loved to read and loved music as much as I did, but that there were other kids like me that I could share these interests with. And Echo and the Bunnymen was one of those bands for me, which I instantly loved um, from the first moment that I heard The Killing Moon. That was the very first song I ever heard. I saw it on a video show on a Saturday morning and I was just transfixed by it. And I had never heard anything quite like it. Um, I loved Ian McCulloch's voice, which I still do to this day. I, I just think his voice is so unique and amazing and all of those positive adjectives. And as a little kid, it just really sort of had a staying power with me that just, I, I needed to find out who this band was. I needed to listen to the music and I did. And luckily for me, I, I have an older brother who was always very sweet and very generous uh, to me. And because he knew how obsessed I was with music, he always made a point that for every birthday and Christmas, he would buy me records and tapes and singles. And, you know, that's what he knew. That's all I ever wanted for my birthday and Christmas. I didn't care for anything else. I just wanted music. And so uh, I, I started listening to Echo and the Bunnymen. Um, quite obsessively, just as I did with the Smiths and other bands, like, again, the Mary Chain and, and others. And that just grew and grew. And, you know, again, to this day, I mean, so much of who I was, even as a little kid, I remained the same, you know, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it is, it is, it is that. And so when I saw that Will Sargent had written uh, not just this book, but, but two books, um, I was eager for us, for us to read them. Uh, and, you know, interestingly, I, I've always found or thought, even as a teenager, um, as I started getting older and getting more of an appreciation for music and sort of the way that music sounds and the different sounds to music, right? Um, I started feeling that so much of Echo and the Bunnymen's music really is is Will Sargent's guitar playing, you know? And, and I liken it almost to Johnny Mars in The Smiths, right? where so many people attribute that unique sound that the Smiths have to, to Johnny's guitar playing. Um, I think that's so much of the reason that Echo and the Bunnymen's music has had the staying power that it has. And the reason for why the, the music is as good and as catchy really has a lot to do with, with his guitar playing. And so again, I was very excited to read this book. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I am eager to discuss it with you. Okay. So you really enjoyed it, yes? I did, yes. 
Well, uh, one thing you said right away that was interesting to me is I do agree with you with, uh, we had the backwards experience. I love junior high. That was, that I was such a great time for me. It was, um, if I could make a television series about any part of my life, it would be those years. We have that in common and your, your position. And I think you're right. There's a lot of people, uh, that's an awkward time for them. They don't like, they didn't like it. I loved it. I felt at home in the pocket. It was a great time. Um, I first heard of Back on the Bunnymen through, <laughs> I used to take the bus every day and I would once in a while sit next to Sharon Murray. She was from England. And at the time, all the things she liked, I, I you know, when things are foreign, you, you kind of just feel the need to poke fun at it or make fun of it. I think that's human nature. It's just, a, it's a shortcoming of being a human being. And so she liked the Smiths and I was like, that's the dumbest name ever, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then I would read the lyrics of death of a disco dancer. Cause she would write them. And I would think, and I probably even said out loud, well, that's just weird. And one of the bands she liked, she had a cassette tape of, um, uh, whatever album it is that has bring on the dancing horses. Isn't that the name of the album? So she had the echo and the buddy men. She had the, the tape of the four of them. It's the four of them in silhouette walking across well, there's there's uh, quite a few albums that have, or there's you know, it's like two it's, albums that have their uh, that have their. Okay, well, she yeah. she she had you know, Echo and the Bunnymen, and I was like, this is yeah. the weirdest name ever. And <laughs> I mean, all I really know of Echo and the Bunnymen are the few hits they had, which are the ones you did mention. Uh, you mentioned one, which was Killing Moon and Lips Like Sugar. I mean, I know the ones that everybody knows, which is I think there's like four. So um, I went back and which I always do this when we listen to where we read a book, I start listening to their music. And I I just I, I can't agree with you at all about the assessment of his uh, comparing him to Johnny Marr. I just did, don't get it at all. Um, it's not it's just not something. And again, I don't know if I'll ever be able to have a uh, how I'll be able to talk about this because I didn't connect with them at the age that you did. And right. you, you and I both know how that goes. So, and there's certain bands and experiences that I, once you're of a certain age, that window has closed. Yes. Well, it is closed for me. And when I, when I try to listen to it now, I, I, it doesn't do, it doesn't do much for me. Um, but to the book, this is one of two books. He, he's done the uh, Lenny Kravitz thing, basically, where he's written one entire book. That and goes, the Brett Anderson thing. Oh, and the, well, no, because Brett Anderson's went all the way. Didn't it go through suede? It went a little farther. I think it went a through. tiny bit, a tiny bit, but he right. still touched primarily on the beginnings and sort yes. of his growing up and his background. Yeah. And then the second book really delves more deeply into suede. Yeah. The, the book ends as Echo and the Bunny Men are kind of beginning to take off. Yes. Now, my book has quotes and adulations by none other than Courtney Love, who says, Will is a sonic master of the universe. Robert Smith, who, if, if for some reason you don't know who that is, he wrote every song for The Cure. He wrote, Will Sargent is a true original. Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins says... Oh, mine does not have those. Mine doesn't have those. Okay. Quotes. Billy Corgan says, Will Sargent will always be the perfect guitarist for the perfect band. No more and no less. Johnny Marr. Oh, mine certainly doesn't have any of these accolades yep. on the, no. Johnny Marr says, Will Sargent is one of those people that music fans know is just great, which is the worst soundbite ever. 
Anton Newcomb, I don't know who that is, I admit my ignorance, and Flea, of all people, of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Huh. Yes, yeah, says, Will Sargent help me understand how to translate a psychedelic vision to rhythm and melody? Thrilled to read this. Now, here's where I'm going to have to start segueing, is you'll notice that none of these quotes had anything to do with the book. <laughs> I mean, they have to do with maybe how they feel about him as a guitar player. And even then, it's sort of circular. I mean, what what does Will Sargent will always be the perfect guitarist for the perfect band? No more, no less. It doesn't mean anything, actually. So I'm not certain that these people actually read the book. I don't get the impression that they did based on. I'm, I'm sure that they probably didn't. I'm, yes, I'm, I, uh, yeah. So, Martha, as I was reading this book, I was thrilled that I loved um, Mickey Berenier. I still don't know how to pronounce her name of Lush. I love yes. that book. That was brilliant book. Yes. Just brilliant. I cannot. I think it's, you know, I, Martha. <laughs> oh, no, here he goes. This is this is a hard one. I'll tell you why. Because I got a sense from the book that this guy has a, a, a thin skin. I mean, the guy, as we'll get into, had a terrible upbringing. Um he did. Yeah, he just, and it, it kind of feels like this book was his, his attempt to really come out of his shell. I don't know if that's true or not. It's the vibe I got. I didn't get that vibe. Okay, good. Well, to me, it was the second worst book we've read. What? Without question. <laughs> what? It was terrible across the board. What are yeah. you talking I, about? I'm sorry. Look, I've like, you know, like it or not, you know, we've both read lots of books and I'm one of those people. And I just thought it was amateur hour from start to finish. And it was painful, painful to get through it for me. And I and I hate to say it because I know how much you you love this band. And I and I I, I know the feeling and I want to connect with you all the time. And, and, and so I love Mickey's book, and but this was it just terrible. I thought I'm I I, I, I well, can no, only you speak the truth. You don't have to apologize to me. <laughs> I, feel- I, I I we we are we are individuals, and we like some of the same books. We yeah. sometimes disagree, and that's okay. That's that's why we have these conversations and we discuss these books. And you know, I will say this, Christian. In all honesty. I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it a lot. I didn't love it. I didn't love it. And I didn't, um, how can I put this? I thought I was going to love it and be like, oh my God, this was the best book ever. That is not how I came away from, like what I came away from after finishing reading it. Well, right? I, can, I can tell you why. <laughs> but I did, but I did enjoy it. I did enjoy oh, it a lot. Um, I did en- I, it wasn't excruciating for me. In fact, I read it rather quickly. Uh, but, but tell me, tell me. Then you didn't read it. And look, oh, I, I know. You, look, I know you did. I and I and, I, and again, I'll, I'll tell our listeners. If the cops separated us in a room and, and they told me Martha didn't read the book, I'd tell the cop you're lying. The one thing I know about Martha is she reads the book. She reads the book. So, but I find it hard to believe you could have ever anybody could have read this quickly. Because it was written so turgidly and awkwardly, the only way I could focus and keep my eyeballs focused on the story was to read it very slowly. 
very oh my gosh. slow. It took me <laughs> weeks to get through this. Thing. What? <laughs> yeah, and I'll oh tell gosh. you, look. And do you want to know what it reminded me of this book? And this yes. is again, this is when I figured this out, I thought this is not good news for Will Sargent. <laughs> I thought it was written, it felt like it was written by Dave Ball of Soft Cell. Remember that? Oh my gosh, <laughs> no! Yeah, it was that. And if, if you remember, I'm sure you do. No. Is Dave Ball, is that his name even? I forgot his name. It is. it is. Soft Cell, yes, yes. It, it, was, it was crass. It was, he uses profanity throughout the book in a really um, unflattering, unengaging, off-putting way. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure I, you've heard this, Martha, but profanity in print is five times more profane as an experience. When you read profanity. Oh, see, right. It, it has a different effect. Absolutely. It does. And yeah, it he does. used it throughout. He used the word shit. I'm taking a shit. We shit up this. We. It was, it was, and he did it. For effect, you could tell, and it didn't work. The whole attempt, Martha, was was a fail to me. It just it oh felt like gosh. somebody's blog. I, you know, I I did not. Wow, Christian, I yeah. honestly did not have. And you know that I am also very particular about you know certain things in terms of language, et cetera, et cetera. But it didn't really bother me, and it really didn't have quite that effect on me as oh. it did. With you, I, I'm, yes, I'm very, um, I have to admit that I am I, a look, little bit surprised by such a oof, strong I'm negative gonna, reaction okay, to it. I'm going to tell you why. I figured it yes. all out as I was reading. First of all, he makes a terrible, ter- I don't know who told him to do this or who, who, who in the room didn't have the courage to say, dude, stop doing this. He gives us history lessons throughout the whole book that are exhaustively superficial. For instance, when I was born, conservative Prime Minister Harold Macmillan resided in number 10 Downing Street. He was old school, a stern looking chap with pinstripe trousers and black tailcoats. Often, I don't care, dude. Why are you giving me your version of history? And he did it throughout the book. You know he, what, though? But real quick, he, okay. he would give us history of Woodstock. He, and it was like his wikipedia version it felt you know what it is i used to teach um community college martha okay so i i can't tell you how many five paragraph essays i read this essay will have five parts the first paragraph will deal with this the second will deal with that winston churchill winston churchill was a leader of england and he does that exhaustively throughout the book he gives us his he treats us to his summarizations of history and it was it, it was really painful for me. And I actually felt embarrassed for him, Martha. I felt embarrassed <laughs> for the man. And do you want to wow. know what I thought about? It? I actually have this weird, this is where I'm I'm not like this, but I have this weird feeling that this episode is gonna get back to him. I don't know why I feel that way. And I felt terrible knowing I it's just terrible, Martha. Gosh, well, I, I I really did not have that experience reading this book, and I it you know what you're talking about his version of history or his his uh, giving us that background that didn't bother me. It I didn't feel, at all. No, it really didn't. <sighs> I almost felt that 
it didn't even, let me just put it this way. It didn't bother me one way or the other. It didn't really phase me, to be honest with wow. you. And in fact, I think, you know, I think to his defense in terms of doing that, I mean, I think we are all in some ways products of our history and the way that we interpret that history. And so I honestly, it didn't phase me one, again, wow. neither negatively or positively. I just... I just read it and I thought, okay, he just kind of wants to maybe. His description I, of Woodstock, his description of Jimi Hendrix, his description of the Beatles, his description of Flower Power Man. Then this, I, I was embarrassed. Wow. Yeah, I had a visceral <laughs> wow. reaction. And I felt it was painful, painful wow. to read. And I thought on top of that, the writing itself was, I, I just, I got the sense that he has all these he was coaxed into writing this, like, come out of your shell, tell your truth, man, and it, just be honest, and it's going to work. And I feel like he came out of his shell and did it, and it's it's an F minus. Oh, my gosh. Let I, me, I want to read a paragraph. Okay. I read this paragraph. I'm like, I'm on page 20 of this book. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to break the news to Martha. Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I want this, this is a paragraph of the book. Uh-huh. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> on a plus point, I'm not scared of spiders now, except for those great big ones you get in the desert, tarantulas, or those nervous weird ones that can suddenly jump at you, or the fat, dark, hairy ones with big fangs, or even the type that crawl into your mouth as you are fast asleep and snoring with your gob wide open. Their mission? To set up shop in your windpipe and choke you in the middle of the night. I take it all back. I am scared of spiders. I have just made myself petrified of the evil little buggers. Christian. Defend that. Defend that. Paragraph. I will. You know, I think he was just trying to be funny. I and know. And that's it, what was so hard. Right. Martha, and, but can I, Martha, can yes. I tell you why? Yes. I'm going to. It's our show. I'm going to ask you to give me 10. Like he was. He was trying to be yes. funny. And here's the thing about humor. Yeah, you don't have to try. You're just are. I understand. No, 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 no. Humor is inherently a risky proposition. And when you, yes. if you're going to tell a joke, you have to take the risk that it'll you fall. May, it will fall. Sure. Yes, of course. Right. But if you add like a like, I have friends who try to be funny in text messages, and they'll say the thing, but then they'll add like dot 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 lol, and I'm like, you right. can't you can't have it both ways because you're trying to protect yourself and tell me it's a joke. Right. Well, if you have to tell me it's a joke, you're not you're, you're not taking the risk of just seeing if it's funny. And this book is this man's he's taking a risk and he's trying to be funny. and He's trying to be smart. He's trying to take he takes the worst approach for somebody who can't write. He takes a very Proustian approach to his history. He takes us into a hardcore deep dive of every memory he's got. And I tell you, he took the risk. He did it like George, like Boy George did, like other people. But when you take a risk, the outcome can be that you fail. And this man does not have the aptitude to write a sentence. <laughs> oh my gosh, Christian. Uh, <laughs> can't right now. I'm sorry. I, you, I can't I, right I, now. I, I know, I know. I just, and I, I, as I read the whole book, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say to Martha. I don't know how to, well, look, how to do this. And I kept I, thinking, thank the Lord. I loved Mickey Berenier's book. Loved it. Oh, 
my goodness. Well, I'm, look, you're not offending me. I didn't write the book. <laughs> and even if I had, right. I feel like it's my book. And if I wrote it, I'm with it. It's my book and it's cool. I don't care if you yeah. like it or not. But here's the thing, Christian. Um, I appreciate your uh, sensitivity and thoughtfulness towards me. <laughs> I was really worried you're going to break up with me. <laughs> like this is it yeah. we are done with this podcast i can't no. handle this guy's negativity but no just... well, look christian this is where we balance each other out right i mean you feel really strong there's been times where i felt strongly about certain books and i just yeah. didn't care for them this is what comes with the territory I, it and is. it's all good we're still friends okay. i still like you i don't hold this <laughs> against you <laughs> We're all good. But with that, you know, like I said, I mean, did I enjoy this book? I really did. You really I enjoy- did. I enjoyed it because, again, <laughs> let me tell you, I enjoyed it because I am a big Echo fan. I really am. And I always have been. And, you know, Ian McCulloch is probably never going to write a book. And so to get a glimpse at the beginning of this band, um, to get a little bit of, yes. of that story, that was enough for me as a fan of the music. And okay. so that was what I enjoyed about it. I enjoyed those parts of the book, okay. which I, I think we should get into. Well, uh, did I did I think that this was the best book we've read thus far? No, you Did, enjoyed his five-page description of what punkers wore and their cl- and their shoes and their clothes. His ten-page description of how he made food with eggs and sliced tomatoes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> look, Christian, I may not Seriously. have enjoyed that that thoroughly, but like I said, I enjoyed reading the parts of. And you know, here's the thing that I'll tell you. I will tell you what. I enjoyed about this book. I enjoyed the parts of it where he talks about what music meant to him, like this paragraph that we started the book with. You know, there were parts of it that I really connected with. There were parts of it that I felt were describing my feelings about music, that were describing, um, you know, sort of the way that music makes me feel. And frankly, it reminded me of middle school in part because that is when I feel like I really came into my own in so many ways, both in terms of what I liked musically, but also the people that I eventually grew up to really consider the people that are important in my life, even as an adult, right? And so there were elements of this book that resonated with me. Um, I think the way that he also, you know, sort of starts, you know, his, his relationship to music in general, you know, where it's almost like, you know, we're not, we're just going to do this because everybody else was doing it. And little by little things start happening. And he's just like, Oh my God, this is such an adrenaline rush. This is something that he soon starts growing into and really loving. I liked reading about the influences that they had and the music that they liked, you know, that Mm -hmm. he liked Roxy music, all these things that we've already read in other books Mm -hmm. as well. I did not know about, um, I mean, I knew where echo and the Bunnymen got their start. 
you know, Eric's, that club. Right. I knew that, but I didn't know the fact that it was similar to the Blitz, like what, you know, Gary Kemp talks about yeah. in his book. It, um, it, it was the know, Liverpool version of the Manchester it, we've read about. It was. Yeah. It was his version of the London that we've read about as well. And so there were those stories that I enjoyed reading about because, frankly, I didn't know those stories. I didn't know that Pete Burns of Dead or Alive used to hang out at Eric's. You know, I didn't know that Holly Johnson of, you know, Frankie goes to Hollywood used to like, there was a whole scene happening in Liverpool that was, you know, comparable to what was happening in London and and to Manchester. There were, so there were those elements of his book that I enjoyed. And those were the parts that I truly did enjoy reading about. All right. There's so many things there. I, I, okay. So Martha was talking about, I'm going to say the last 75 pages of this particular book. And I will, (laughs) I will. Yeah. I, 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 I agree with you. It's hard not to that when he starts talking about, because he uses the same lens to tell the whole story of his life. It's like a close-up. So yes. if you're stuck on a close-up of a boring anecdote when he was nine, well, he uses the same lens when you get to Eric's. So you're really brought in to this club on in a very, very finely tuned he brings you into the minutiae of this club. Yes, and he does. I did. I did. Uh, you didn't have to be an Echo and the Bunnymen fan to find that fascinating because he finally you're into that. But the problem for me is that he tried to make it more uh, about more than just the Echo and the Bunnymen period. The majority of this book is him trying to take you into everything but that. And you know, look, I'll tell you, I, I really wish I could have. I know this is going to sound like, well, what can I say? If I had been this guy's editor, I would have said, you've got some real gold here. And I'm going to go back, Martha, because he does bring us into some things that I've never quite read in the memoir that were nakedly painful to read about. Yes. And I I, I just wish somebody had said, you really do have some stuff here. We're going to chop out the history of how we landed on, you know, Sputnik landed on the moon. We don't need that. But when he talks about his upbringing and he talks about He's really upfront about how dirty and feral he was. Yes. And I had never read anything like that. And, and I've read enough. You know what, Martha? I'm, I'm cured of my English romance. This book did it. You and me both. <laughs> I would like to. There's, okay, there's a there's a chapter. I couldn't. I was like, wow, that's. And this is this is I was riveted. Like, this is total naked honesty. Yes. He says that um, with all the upset in the house, I peed the bed just about every night. Yes. The bed had a rubber sheet stretched across a bony mattress. I would often get out of the bed damp and smelly. I only got a bath once a week on Sunday night. So in the morning, I would just get out of the pissy bed and get dressed for school. By the time it was bedtime the next night, the the piss had usually dried. And then he follows it up like like that's not enough. I hardly ever cleaned my teeth. Man, Martha, this guy's description of of his living arrangement was hardcore. Yes. And I had never, it was a new level that that I'd never read about. And he he brings you into a lot of that stuff sometimes that I thought, here's your story, buddy. Because I'm with you. When you tell me these things, I'm really like, and do you know what he did? If I can move forward, Martha? Hmm. He said something really naked that I don't think anybody else, I say this all the time, (laughs) will ever share. He said, he talks about, his acne. Yes. And boy, it was 
you really, I tell you, in those moments, it really came to life for me, Martha. This is his unique. Me too. Me too. Yeah, he talks, that description he gives about the way his, all of his friends are, are, have girlfriends and they're having their first sexual experiences, but he's so inwardly introverted and he's got horrible acne. He's got acne on top of acne, you feel like. And he describes being so frustrated. He uses a dirty fingernails to just sort of scrape it off his face and leave all these scabs. And that was like, you know, I'm with him. That was real. I felt really connected to this person. But that was far and few between, Martha. Well, and I think that that's, you know, that's his story, right? And he does like you said, really bring you into those moments um, because his home life was absolutely horrible. It's horrible. And horrible. I mean, there was violence. His mom leaves when he's 10. He well, tell, his... tell our listeners about that moment, about when the mom leaves, what that's oh, like. Yes. Yeah, so his mom, his mom leaves, you know, the and part of the reason that he is, you know, peeing himself in, in yeah. bed is because of the, what he later talks about in the book where he says, you know, that was as as he realizes later, it was probably due to the fact that yeah. there was so much anxiety in him oh, yeah. because of the screaming matches between his mother and his father, and there was physical violence as well. And so he, it was a horrible, a horrible upbringing. And his mom finally decides to leave. Apparently, she'd done this before, where she had packed up and mm-hmm. and left, but the dad would convinced her to come back for whatever reason, because it sounds like they were just not happily married. It sounds like their marriage was absolutely horrible. Horrible. And the final, the final time where she does decide the, to finally leave rather, uh, she tells him, uh, you know, do you, do you want to come with me? Mm-hmm. And what, what a situation to I ever, know, to know, ever ask a child, know. you know, do you want to stay with your dad or do you want to come with me? I mean, yeah. who does that? Yeah. And so, um, he says, uh, no, I, I want to stay here. And he acknowledges, not that I necessarily got along any better with my dad, yeah. but, but my friends were there. My, yeah. my school was there. And, you know, it's interesting because in that moment, what I thought was, you know, even though he was so young, he knew that in spite of the fact that he maybe didn't have the best relationship with his dad, at least he had his support there with him and he opted to stay with his support system which were his friends his parents his friends parents who he later tells us in hindsight were taking care of him by feeding him by being kind to him um because his dad was never really around i mean so he was really basically on his own from the time that he was 10 because at that point his older brother and sister had already as he says, escaped to London. And so it was just, you know, his dad and him. And so he tells his mom, mm, you know what? No, I, I think I'm, I'm going to stay here. Yeah. And she says, okay. Yeah. And he, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have any ill will towards the mom. I don't know about you. I just, it's the whole situation sounded horrible. No, and it we, just it, sounded like it was dysfunction all around. And so it was just, it was just, as he says, it was just accepted. And his father, or it, both he and his father never talk about her again. And it's not until much later, I think he's either 18 or 21 when he finally reconnects with her. And that is very awkward. Um, they reconnect later at a friend's house, at a neighbor's house. Right. And his friend comes over and says, hey, uh, so Will, your mom, Mommy, yeah, she's at right my house and she wants to see you. Yeah. And he says that he goes over there and it's just 
you know, he talks about yeah. how there is no affection, yeah. no hugs, no dramatic reunion, as we see on TV, typically when people haven't seen each other in, in decades yeah. or, or years. And it's all very matter of fact. And he says he pretty much can't wait to get out of there. And he, yeah. she gives him um, something that he says, you know, it's just so clearly evident that neither she nor I are know each other. We don't. Yeah. They hadn't had a single conversation or had any contact since he was a 10-year-old boy at this point. And he's a young man. And so there's no connection there. And and no, Christian, I didn't have any ill will towards the mother either because I feel that that was just how it was. Well, the and way the father referred to her as bitch, cow, mayor, It was awful. Oh, it was awful. awful. It was awful. And, you know, obviously the mom has finally had it when she decides to leave. Yeah. But again, I think putting a child in that situation. But I also don't think that they necessarily had the parenting skills to know any you better. Know? Right. And so, I mean, on the one hand, you feel like, well, they were adults. They should have known better. But. You know, I think sometimes some adults are just ill-equipped for for parenting for sure. yeah. and to be adults. And so yeah. uh, it it I don't you almost can't I know this may sound bad, but sometimes I feel you can you know, sometimes ignorance is is such a thing where they don't even know what they don't know. So how yeah. can you even fault them? They don't even know how to be good to each other, how to be parents, how to so yeah. you have this this young man, this boy basically raising himself yeah. and at the mercy of other people's parents, helping him along the way. Uh, so that's who, you know, and he talks about how well, as a young man, he's, he's awkward. Uh, he's incredibly shy. And I think a lot of it stems from insecurity because of the upbringing that he had, you know, there wasn't really support there. There wasn't a loving home that was warm and caring. And so uh, he doesn't have the, the skills to really no he doesn't he doesn't and so so you see i didn't when he makes these attempts christian as you say to you know be funny or to i don't necessarily hold it against him and i think that was the lens from which i was reading this book as well hmm. and so i i didn't necessarily uh, you know i was almost reading this book um with all of that in mind and, and keeping all of those different aspects of his life and his growing up at the forefront, um, I think. And so I think that's probably the reason that it didn't affect me as much because when he does talk about those moments, about his acne, about this, mm -hmm. you know, I think we, regardless of whether any of us might have suffered with that or not, you know, we You're all right. have, yeah. We all had things, right? As kids or as young people or even as adults, you know, we all have that one thing or those things um, that we feel are, uh, you know, things that we're not necessarily proud of or things that bug us or things that upset us about ourselves. Uh, and so I I never really, I don't know, I it didn't, it didn't bother me because again, in those moments where he is vulnerable, where he does share those really hard things that he went through and, and those feelings um, that he was going through when a lot of this was happening, I felt revealed so much more about him than maybe making, you know, going on and on about something like that didn't, it didn't really bother me. I, I just, I got a sense right away of somebody who I got a deep sense of pain, P-A-I-N, pain this person yes. was in and had experienced 
Yes. I, and I, I just wish some editor had worked with him a little bit better to say. I understand that. And that that's, you know what? It's funny. So often when we do this, we have it. We do our brilliant show. That's one Emmys and we're now sponsored. <laughs> it's yes. funny. It's in the recording that we talk about it, that I, I suddenly have a new perspective or uh, things coalesce in my mind. Because the guy, you are reading somebody who's in pain, whose childhood is pain. It's just a lot of pain. And yet, I wish some editor had just come along and said, we're going to, okay, all this stuff you wrote about President Truman or whatever, if that's what you needed to to get your pen flowing, great. But now that it's flowing, I'm going to trim the stuff that isn't pertinent. And we're going to give your narrative real voice. And I think the thing could have sung in a way that it doesn't because it's just so bloated with extraneous nonsense, not even nonsense, just facts, facts of, you know, bikers True. driving down the street and what they True. wore and how, and that's just, it was, who cares? We are here True. because you're in a band and I don't, I, it, the fact that you're in a band doesn't make your ability to tell history any better. But to go back to that point, you know, you're talking about the mother showing up and so forth. It was the best moment of the book. At the very beginning, his mom leaves. It's painful. He, the, the kid seems to almost be beyond pain at that point. But anyway, when he reconnects with his mom, it, I felt the book comes to life. He tells you, the reader, that he thinks he should have handled it all differently. Right. And I felt terrible for him in that moment. I thought, my gosh, you're, you were a 13-year-old kid and your mom leaves. You're... You pee in the bed. It's a feral environment. Your dad sounds horrible. I mean, horrible. And yet you still feel guilty. Like you, as a 14-year-old, should have done something different. And now when your mom comes around, eight year, there's no training manual for how to, how to engage with the parent you haven't seen for six years or eight years. But he feels terribly about how what he didn't say to her, what she, he should have said to her. He feels badly that when she leaves and he says to her, I'm probably never going to see you again. I'm not going to visit you. Right. And, and he feels terrible about it. And I, he, I, I, in those moments, I just wanted to put my arm around him and say, you haven't done anything wrong here. You're the child. You are the child. It is not your job to make these people feel better. And I so there were moments of the book where I, I, I just thought, here, here's the meat. And I, I love the meat, but there was just so much in the way of it that was static. And that's the you know, best way I can put it. You know, I will share something, um, something that I did find um, ironic in in this book, for lack of a better word, is, you know, he, going back to, he talks a lot about um, sort of his uh, love of motorcycles, and he tells us stories about it. Right. Some accidents that he had, and he talks about how, wow, I can't believe I survived that, you know, yeah. because I should have, I should have probably have died. And the ironic thing to all of this is that he has, you know, quite a few close calls that he shares about yeah. potentially dying in motorcycle accidents, and you know, their Equin the Bunnyman's drummer died in a motorcycle crash, and and I thought that was really like, wow, that's so. Yeah. crazy you know that 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 happened to pete like that happened yeah. and, and yet this guy had so many close calls and it never, i didn't know that by the way you just revealed something to me i didn't know 
Yes. And yeah. in the late eighties, he died in a car, in a, in a motorcycle wow. accident. I remember it happening. I remember when that happened too. And so, um, so I found that, you know, like, wow, you know, here's Will Sargent having so many close calls, nothing ever happens to him. And, you know, again, it's all this fate. You know, when we read these books, Christian, I always go back to this idea of fate and what is meant for you. And and these books just constantly reveal that to me. I'm such a believer that nothing in this life is a coincidence and that everything happens in the moment that it needs to happen for whatever reason. And, you know, sort of reading all of these stories about motorcycles and his obsession with them and his love for them and these accidents and how he should have died and he didn't and and then you you know knowing that their drummer did eventually die in a in a motorcycle accident and 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 will is still luckily alive and kicking and and it's like you know there's a higher purpose or something you know it's it's just always very um i don't know reading these books always just gets me in this scope of of other things and it's just interesting to me but um but yeah, I mean, let, let's talk a little bit about the music. Let's talk okay. a little bit about so the music. It does. I mean, I, I was taken aback that, oh my gosh, this guy was, um, you and I have read so much now about all of these, these stories. I now have a different perspective uh, of, and I think I proportionately, I have a different sense of proportion now of, of music. And like, you know, we've talked about, we didn't realize David Bowie was the Elvis of We've started to get a three-dimensional sense of things. Yeah. So when I was reading this book, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy was on the <laughs> this guy was on the bill with Joy Division. Yeah. Oh wow. I was yes. this guy was really it, you know, I so getting into the music now, I felt so many things as I was reading it. One was envy and nostalgia for a time that's gone, because he really conveys a sense that if you just got on stage with a guitar. Yes. You could have had a band. You you yes. really feel that, Martha. Yeah. The guy and I love his he he's so upfront. I think it's their first gig. They play basically play two chords over <laughs> and over again for like 18 minutes. 18 yeah. minutes. They play two chords for so long that like three weeks later, when somebody says, Hey, did you see uh, this band? The guy says, do you mean the band that played two chords for like 18 minutes? And I just thought that was so endearing. It, it captured a moment of time. This man was certainly there at a moment of time. Yes. It was wonderful. And I also, if you don't mind me, you know, mixing the fact that this, this guy can't play the guitar very well. I get the sense, but he's still on stage. And he, you know, you, you know, you know what you know about him in that moment because you read in the book. You know, he's insecure. He's got his hair long because he doesn't want to be seen. He's got these acne problems. Yeah. And I, you are on his side. Yeah. As, as much as I'm frustrated with this book, and it's like, oh my gosh, I don't care about Mary Lou Retton and how she did in the Olympics, right? You are on his side, and so when you he- had these sports, <laughs> Christian, we need to stop. I'm just making a point. You were on his side when the guy, I mean, I, Martha, I I loved, I did not know this because I'm not, I'm not the fan that you are, you know? Yes. But this guy, Will Sargent, who's you, and he goes out of his way to describe kind of how feral he is. Yes. 
Yet he gets on stage with a drum machine. Oh, that was the that best. That was the best. I'm that telling you, that's badass. That's more punk rock than Billy Idol that or anybody. That was the best. And the, and the constant um, fidgeting <laughs> yeah. with the drum machine. And it's such, it becomes talking about humor. Yes. So, you know, humor 101, right? Repetition. Mm-hmm. That's what, you know, that, that gets that, yeah. that humor going. And so yeah. this drum machine and the fidgeting and the, and the trying to get Loved it to it. work and, and all of this is, is a constant, yeah. uh, you know, in those early days. Yeah. And so, and it's constantly a problem for them too. And it is, you know, by the third, fourth time that we read about yeah. this drum machine, I was cracking up so was I. because I thought, oh my God, here goes the damn drum machine again. <laughs> Fact, and in fact, it got to a point where even before he started talking about the drum machine, I thought, oh, my God, I bet the drum yeah. machine is going to screw it. And sure yeah. enough, here comes the drum machine waltzing in again to the story and I them know. having issues with it. And I was just laughing. I couldn't stop laughing. I love that this inanimate object that's indifferent. It plays yes. such a part, such a role, and ruins so many shows yes, for this yes. guy. Yeah, I, I tell you, you know, I so I became a fan of him in terms of his role in the band, though, because here's well, he this started guy. it with the bunny man. He started he star- it. He starts it. Yeah, and I, I, I did again. Look. Here's this insecure guy. He lives with this. I feel like this guy. His father is becomes a non-entity, but. He lives in this depressing it's house. It's basically his roommate. His dad is basically yeah. his roommate. They're never there together. He's he, never home. He's- his description of when he invites Ian McCulloch over to his house for the first time is so, oh. it is, it is very, so charming. Oh, it's like, I love that. He, he cleans the house. He tries to make it presentable for his oh, friend. I love and, that. And I'm telling you, buried in the book was this person you like. And I think I was just so frustrated that I had to, it's like, you know, when PBS goes to those fundraisers and you got to wait for four hours of fundraising (laughs) to get back to the thing. So what I love about Will is he's, he's cleaning his house for Ian, who like a lead singer shows up 25 hours late. I love that. Three hours hours late. The first time. Who does that? By the way, (laughs) I, I'm assuming you came away like I did, thinking that Ian is is just a, such a prima donna. All lead singers I need to it. be. Pre- I feel like I it's a prerequisite it. because here's Will. He's covered in acne, and I, I, I'm not saying that by the way to be funny. I mean, the, I mean, because he he lets you know. He even says up front the reason I started to ban Correct. had to do with this with this the psychological effect of this acne. And if you're look, Martha, I don't know about you as a teenager. I had very mild, very mild. I mean, even I, even as a teenager, I knew I was lucky with my acne. Will had level 10 acne, okay? Yeah. And now he's on stage and he's doing his best, strumming his guitar. He can barely play. And he even, this was, I, this, I'm a fan of the guy. He figures out this, he figures out how to solder something to do with this ridiculous drum machine. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was really like, I, I, it blew my mind. It would never occur to me to get out soldering equipment and welding irons, but this guy does. And yes. he figures out how to like hook up this cord to that cable, to this melding smelt thing. And to, yes. if it hits the button. And so that's why you're so with him. And when it goes wrong yes. and it doesn't work, you feel it. You feel it. You so feel it. And here's yes. the double part of that story. 
Not only do you feel it, but when Ian McCulloch was shooting him dirty looks, like, why is it this working? <laughs> I wanted to punch Ian McCulloch in the oh, face. No. I thought, dude. This poor guy is just yes, trying. He's and trying here's Ian who so shows up hard. late to rehearsal. Re- re- shows up care. late to rehearsal, relate re- to the band practice. Uh, he just <laughs> no, shows up story. with his perfect hair. He spends as more time on his hair, as much time on his hair I than Will it. spends on I the band. I love it. And you know, we have to share a story. So he's actually friends with Julian Cope. Some of you may know Julian Cope from, you know, back in the day. And so he, he, um, he, uh, Ian is originally in a band with him. And the kicker to this is that he get, he gets kicked out of the band. Ian does because he can show up to rehearsal. The rehearsal in his, <laughs> is in his apartment and he doesn't show up for it. I just died when I read that. And it's like, what are you talking about? He could not oh, be man. bothered to Dude. get out of bed for rehearsal At in his, his apartment. That's... So, so of course he's going to show up three hours late to yeah. meet Will at his house because he says the first time he, he shows up, he says, you know, I had to take 10 buses to get here. And then Will clears the record and says, actually, it was probably more like two or three. Right. But, yeah. you know, who's who's counting the yeah. number of buses he had to get to get, you know, take you, to get here? Even Morrissey would blush to hear that story. He'd think, <laughs> oh, my gosh, even I've never took it that far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I do when when it gets to that part, you, at the you are there. Uh, I I do feel like it was the most ground zero storytelling because you're there for he he talks about Joy Division before they've even got a following. Yes. He talks, I mean, and he's on the bill with them. He yes, he talks about all of the bands that way because he saw them so early. They all seem equal in a way. He talks about the Cure. And it just feels like yes. one more of other of many others that were occurring at the time. And what's so great about, you know, when we read these books, especially this era, right, this spe- specific era of music, um, mm-hmm. what's so incredible to me, Christian, is that these bands became the big right. bands, right, that they ended up being. And it was all happening at the same time. Like, was there something in the water in England at the time? Like Uh, what was going on that all of this massive talent was simultaneously creating at the very exact same time. And, you know, it, it goes back, I think to some of the history, right. Of what was happening at the time where you had just gruntled, teenagers, disgruntled youth that didn't really see a whole lot of future. It was a bleak time in England. There was not a lot for them to do. And so, as you said earlier, Christian, you know, they, they figured, well, I can just pick up a guitar, get on stage. All of our friends are doing it. Everybody else that we know is doing it. What prevents us from doing it? And he talks about that. He talks about how, you know, everyone in the audience, when they first start doing their first shows, it's either friends of theirs, you know, people that they knew that they'd hung out with or frenemies, people who knew them and kind of wanted them to fail. But then he says, you know, but that was sort of the thing in England. Everybody wanted to see you fail. Nobody really wanted to see you make it. But all of these bands made it, which is incredible to me. They all made it. There wasn't a single one that did it. When he talks about like Pete Burns of Dead or Alive hanging out at Eric's, I mean, Dead or Alive became Dead or Alive, you know, and it's just, it's amazing to me that there was so much talent brewing at the same time. 
and and he talks about it so casually, and he says, you know, well, what there was nothing else to do, so we all just went and saw each other's band. Yeah, it was like, well, well, that was the thing. Like, it wasn't anything special, and it's it's just incredible to me. Again, reading these books and and reading about all of these people, that it was just like any other day. Like, you just went to your local bar and you saw this band, and then they became the next big thing. It's incredible. I I just that's why I feel most so nostalgic for the time it, it makes you feel like if you if you could just muster the courage to get on the stage right you could have had a career yeah yeah we could have been in a band yeah yeah <laughs> i mean we were teenagers at the late 80s christian we could have yeah. essentially been what, in a band instead i what was i doing nothing we were doing nothing with our lives <laughs> So, but you know he does he does talk about you know sort of again those those early starting days with Echo and and it's him and Ian really and they yeah. talk about this is the best part this was the best part to me in his storytelling about the band where he and Ian are constantly you know rehearsing they rehearse on Thursdays because that's the day that he doesn't work that right. Will doesn't work right. they're rehearsing on Thursdays and they're and they start creating music and I got really excited seeing titles of songs that I love like do it clean and he plays that over the phone to Ian right. and oh those parts were really just really exciting for me as a fan and he then tells us that yeah they're making all this music but that's exactly what they're doing there are no lyrics there he has not yeah. heard he has not heard Ian sing. I know, it's amazing. And it's not until that very first gig at Eric's that he hears his voice. Mm-hmm. And he is just taken aback by it. He's just, he can't believe what he's hearing. Yeah. And neither can the audience there. And to me, that was just remarkable that up until this point, they've been rehearsing every Thursday. They've been sharing music. Yeah. They've been going back and forth. And not once has he heard Ian's yeah. voice? Unbelievable. Yeah. And like he, he barely shows up for that. And he wonders, is the guy even going to show up? Is he even going to show up? And he shows up with a little notebook. Yep. Ian does. His little journal. Yes. Yeah. With his lyrics. And he yeah. sings. And then he gives a look to Will at the end of 12 minutes. Right. Like, and no, he says. En- enough already. <laughs> enough already. Like, that was it. I don't have any more. And, and Will says, you know, that's all that Ian had to say. And he gives me a look. And I know we're done and we come to the close of our first set, our first show. And that was it. 12 minutes gone. You know, I think to me, Echo and the Bunnymen, which I think is, I got to say, I do think it's a terrible name, Martha. Well, he says that too. And it wasn't a choice. It wasn't a choice. Well, he could have said no. Well, he could have, but I think he was too insecure at that point to also voice this i imagine i always liked i mean the 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 word itself echo is a cool whatever but i liked echo but bunnyman was like ridiculous here are the other names that were in contention (laughs) but they didn't come up with them though let's make that clear it was ian's uh flatmate who had original as a joke but as a joke he had come up with these names wacky sense of humor this is what echo and the bunnyman could have been called Glycerol and the fan <laughs> extractors, the Daz men, and Mona Lisa and the Grease Guns. And I, to me, that's, I always thought Echo and the Bunnymen were very Smiths light. Really? Like the Smiths, like a, yeah. I, when I listened to Ian McCulloch sing, I, the guy's got an operatic, voice. dramatic voice. 
But, you know, I, I never, so I listened to a whole bunch of Echo and the Bunnyman songs. There's just never a hook. Here he There's goes. There's never a melody. <laughs> Even, I, oh, yeah, here's Christian requiring content. I'm sorry, but there's no, that's the difference, though. That's why the Smiths, that's why, Martha. It's like, there's nothing. I listen to acoustic versions, demo versions. And I as I know this is going to sound pretentious. I know I've, I'm sure I've come across this way before. I can't actually play the guitar, okay? And I'm listening to a lot of these songs, and I'm like, yeah, I hear you. You're just playing chords, and you're changing chords, and you're playing them faster or slower, but there's no real, there's no hook. There's no, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it just, it. It doesn't. I yeah. I happen to I happen to like. Do you want to know why? Like, I know why you like Echo the Bunnyman. Now that I figured you out, why? I forget what band it was when I realized. Oh, it's the oh, it's um, it was the Gary Kemp episode, and I had the same complaint about Spanda Ballet, and I said the reason Duran Duran took off in Spanda, and I had the same thinking, is Ian McCulloch. His delivery is very romantic. It's very em- yes. emotional. <laughs> Yes. But he's just he's there's no real phrasing, no real there's no real hook. He's I he's don't just know. I, it, look, I, he is be be being B-E-I-N-G being operatic with that voice of his. Go listen but to Ocean Rain. But go there, listen to Martha, that album. I want you to listen. Reason. I want you to listen to Ocean Rain. Okay. And then I want you to listen to the song Ocean Rain. Fine. And if if you're not moved by that song i don't know christian i don't know we're we're breaking up there's a reason lips like sugar was a hit and it works because it's got a it's got a next level hook it's got some it's got it, it it is apart from the pack but to me when i listen to them and and i just i don't it's all okay Listen to Crocodiles, the album okay. Crocodiles, and then listen right. to Ocean Rain. Okay. Just just do that. Just humor me. Humor I will. Me. I will. Okay. Humor you, me. Yeah, I will humor <laughs> you. I will, and I'm sure I'll find it more humorous than any joke in oh, this man's stop. book. Oh, stop it. Stop it. But to continue before we end this episode, the story of Echo and the Bunnymen, mm-hmm. things do happen for them. Quickly. Rather quickly. John Peel, who we've mentioned in previous episodes, and base he in our last episode was not a fan of U2 and never was. Right. However, when he hears uh, Echo and the Bunnymen's first single, his reaction is, and they then go on and 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 float up to the clouds and back because he, John Peel says that uh, he describes them as the mighty Echo the and mighty, the Bunnymen. The mighty. And they soon do a John Peel session. And for those of you who listen to us and who are familiar with John Peel and those John Peel sessions, those were make or break for a lot of bands, you know, and usually made them. I mean, every band wanted to to be a part of that. And so soon they are courted by a variety of um, of of record companies, including Sire Records and. 
Seymour Stein goes and he sees them and he is again. And it's one of those shows where the, the, the drum machine isn't working and things it. are there. Everything's kind of going haywire. And the drum and machine dr- is the star of the band. The drum machine <laughs> is the, the star of the enemy of the band. And coincidentally, when, when they're offered to sign with Sire, when, when uh, Seymour Stein offers to sign them, the requirement back the requirement is that they get a drummer. Yes. And at that point, Will says, Well, actually, you know, I mean, I don't blame the guy. They're sick of this drum machine giving them so many yeah, problems. Me too. And, and he says, Well, actually, we are looking for a drummer it, because we are kind of tired of this. Believe drummer. it or not, we do want a human being. <laughs> a little bit better than the drum machine that that goes haywire every time we play it (laughs) so uh they do but then tony wilson who we've mentioned in previous episodes if some of you have been listening to us for a while know uh with factory records and and will tells us in the book that he would have much rather have gone with factory because they were more of an indie label uh but they don't they end up going with sire and that's who they and that's how it all happens in in a year's time they go from having trouble with this drum machine to <laughs> having releasing their first single to then getting a john peel session to then eventually signing with sire and the rest is history and that's where the book ends that's where the well he, he actually ends the book with the word pricks by the way Martha. oh okay. I, I can't I, I i gotta say that's how i know how you're, you're a little biased because i know that would otherwise have bothered you that he he uses course just it's he just off putting. It was just he does, and you can tell he's trying to use it for effect to try to be creative. It just yes, it was abrasive to me. It was. There were some descriptions that were a little abrasive um, that I felt we could have done without as well. Um, you know this about me, Christian. I'm you know there's certain things that I just I'd rather just not. <laughs> read about yeah I know. but but there were some you know and, and there were and and it's true and the way that he ends the book i will read the last sentence he says what does he say that there'll something along the lines that they'll eventually you know that the last thing they thought that they would become or or be is arrogant pricks arrogant that's, pricks. that's that's how he ends the book and then the second book continues. And I don't know, Christian, we had talked about reading that, but at this point I'm thinking. No, I, I'll do, hey, I, I, I'm committed individual, Martha. I may have failed at marriages, but I, will, <laughs> oh. I am committed to this. So. Well, okay. We, we, we can or, or cannot. And you know what? Last detail. Yeah. I was, it was so backwards. You and I have read about all these guys having orgies Monday through Sunday. And this was definitely the opposite. There is no depiction or, or, or description of any of that in this book. And in fact, the one time he he brings it into the book is he's, I guess, Echo the Bunnyman of so quickly they're getting just all this notoriety and, and fame. Are. And some female, he goes out of his way to not describe or not to name drop. Yes. She tries to seduce him. And you get the sense right. that the guy has had zero sexual experience. He tells us that. He yeah. tells us that and he's he's not been experienced with yeah, women up until this point. And he's he tells us that he's, you know, he's he's kissed girls, but it's never gone uh 
beyond that. And so he's inexperienced, as he puts it. Yeah, it was a very back, a different, different kind of memoir than uh, we've read it was. before. It was. You know, I feel now that we finished, Martha. Yes. I just, I, I just wish some editor had said, please, let's, let's just do this a little different. Your story is here and it's great, but man, it was painful for a while. And I, I feel a little bad. It was a little harsh in the beginning. It was a little harsh. I just want to. It's okay. It's okay. I'm sure Will, Will forgives you. I, the guys, <laughs> I feel bad. The guys, that's why I felt so bad, Martha. The guy seems just. And then, and like, then, and then he's he seems a, like a nice guy. He, I really got the impression. He's a widower. He's a widower. His wife died. Oh, he is? Yes. I did not know that. I just I feel, I, I'm probably overthinking it. The guy had a lot of success in Echo and the Bunny Men. What do I care? I need to stop. It's fine. Yeah, he's he's I, he came across as a nice as a nice person, and you know I think we've all in our life have had insecurities, and so I'm always when people share their insecurities, whether it be on a personal level or in a book, I am always um, I always take that to heart, you know, I because it's too. hard to it's hard to do that. It's hard to come to terms with either flaws in you or, or insecurities in you and to share those in such a big way, I think that takes a lot of guts, you know? And so um, I, I appreciated that. And I think that's probably for me, again, a lot of, of what you felt. Uh, I, I, I just, I was really unfazed by it. I think because I was so into just, his his personal struggle with so much, and I felt he was so open yeah. about it. He so, was very self made, very self made, very much so, yeah. very much so from a very tender age, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. So there you have it, folks. That That's was, Will Sargent's part one. Part one. Yeah, and we're, we're going to read part two or or three or four, whatever the guy feels like reading. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, we will read Will Sargent's books. That's it. We did it again, Martha. We did it again. We did it. We casually absorbed another, I don't know, 340 pages. Yeah, 300 pages, like nothing. Like it was an appetizer. Well, it sounds like it was, it, it sounds like it was a little bit uh, torturous for you. It, uh, it took a little bit. Ever. Just a little bit. It yeah. took weeks. Wow. Yeah. I don't, when you said you read it quickly, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it that, took me like, I'll, I'll tell you how long, do you want to know how long it took me? Yeah. Two days. That's insane. You're, then you have, you're a smarter person than I am. No, I'm not smarter. I just, I just was into Maybe it. Maybe you just can handle pain better than I can. You know, Christian, <laughs> I don't know that I handle pain better necessarily, but I really empathize with people's pain. And I think. I, I do think, too. I, I know you do. I know you're a sensitive, in spite of everything you might hear, folks, uh, Christian is a, is a very sensitive person. I I know this about him. I know he's yeah, a sensitive guy. True. He tries to pretend he's not that. I, I'm up front. I'm extremely, extremely sensitive. <laughs> you are. You are yeah. a sensitive person. You yeah. are. Yeah. So there we have it. We did Will it. Sargent. Yeah, Will Sargent. Another one down. Uh, we're going to change gears next time. Uh, we're yes. going to give you the people what you want. Yes, we sellouts. are. Yes, we're sellouts. We... We've gone full bachelor, full bachelorette, <laughs> full Kardashian. 
We're going to bring you sugar with um, more oh, sugar. Oh, can't wait. Cannot yeah, gonna, wait for yeah, this. Yeah, the next episode is going to be Red Bull filled with monster energy drink filled should we with tell sugar. Them? Should we tell them or should we just surprise no, them so they're wondering ahead. what just, it's going to be? Just go no, ahead. no, I think we should surprise yeah. them, Christian. You think so? I think so. Because <laughs> okay. this is going to be a good one. Yeah. This is going to be yeah. something that is. Microwave your popcorn, folks. Oh, Sit back. Oh, boy. And enjoy the. Enjoy. The it slow, is... soft offering. Of... Yeah, I think we'll keep it. I think we'll keep it a secret until we we uh, yeah. release that episode. You know it's what? Be... Yeah. I'm excited. You want to know what? I'm excited to read it. You want to know why? Why? For the same reason, it's the, our, any listener would because it's you know it's going to be written by a ghostwriter, it's going to be written smooth as like pancake syrup. I don't syrup. think so, Christian. Oh, for I sure, don't know. I it's going to go down. We're like this book. I had to read. I had to focus because he's not a writer. I had to, you know what it is. I had to make up the difference. I know it sounds like I'm a jerk, whatever. But when you get to a certain level of fame. They, you know, those people are writing it alone, so you're you're getting a polished, smooth, I, easy. Oh, I don't know, Christian. Yeah. I really don't know about. Oh, uh, for sure. I'm not. Oh, gonna, well, I'm, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll there's see. not. We're not going to break a sweat for the next one. That's. For and sure. I will say this. I will say this. There are two songs that I love. By love, this person. L-O-V-E. love. First of all, yeah. you, you think this person wrote those songs? Oh, I know that they didn't because I know for a fact that I know for a fact that they didn't write them. Right. I know that. Well, then don't give credit. Where the well, well, true, to. true, true, true. But I do. I do. I I love one of them, especially I, I love. I cannot wait to talk about this. Book. It is yeah, going I'm to be excited. great, everyone. I'm excited it's going, it's going to be a great one. <laughs> yeah. Cannot wait for the next one. I'm excited one. to get my nails done, have some girl time, <laughs> some spa time. <laughs> You know, oh my gosh! Drink. Should we have spa? Uh, fall time and get our nails done and do like that whole That's what we're thing. doing for our next book. We're gonna have a smoothie, get our face moisturized. Talk about I will it. have a mask on while we do the next episode. That's so what will I. Do. So. <laughs> oh my gosh! All, All right. right. Well, thank you for joining us, everybody. Uh, we appreciate your support, your donations, your contributions to our sponsors. Thank you so much for sticking <laughs> thank with us. You. Uh, you know, we're going to keep doing our thing. Yes. Or I've lost track but how, of how deep we are into this, but we're deep and we thank you for joining us. We're like 45 us. or 46 books in, I think. Yeah. It's crazy yeah. to me. Hey, crazy. And you know what? Yeah. If, and if you've made it this far into the episode, I want our listeners to know we're the real deal. Okay. We just went to go see Slow Dive, Martha and I. We did. Yes, it was. We were at the show. We were. Yes. These tickets were very difficult to come by. They were. We had to use our notoriety as podcast hosts to get free <laughs> tickets. We don't normally like to do that, but we pulled strings. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and I got to actually see that Nick is a real. I you know was always on the fence if Mark was making up Nick. He's real. He was there. <laughs> I got oh to, my goodness! I got to hang out with Nick. I got to see Nick in real life. <laughs> in real life, three dimensional person. Yeah. Yes. Martha. Yes. Martha may or may not have actually bought merchandise at this show too. <laughs> may have or may not have. I might be. Yeah. I might be wearing said merchandise yeah. at the moment. Right? Oh my gosh, <laughs> or not? Are really? Or not? <laughs> <laughs> but I want you to know, folks. We do the thing. We don't just read about we it. We are still in it. We are at the forefront. And, and we'll the tell them next time who else we're we're about to see. Yeah. Well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
we'll we'll share that next yeah, time. Yeah, he's almost in our in our phone contacts at this point. <laughs> at this point. <laughs> they, I mean, at this point, we're almost best friends with this we person. Are. We but are. we'll let you all in on, on who this person is after we see him. So. After. After after. The, after he sees us. Oh, will, yeah. the correction. Sorry. Yeah, yes. yeah. After he sees us. <laughs> yeah, and Nick's gonna be there too. <laughs> yeah, Nick's gonna I mean, what do you what do you know? He really is he really is a man that lives and is yeah, married to me. <laughs> I, I was so sure you're making it all up, but if at this point you're just so committed to the farce, my hat's off regardless. <laughs> okay, everybody. Uh until next time, bring on the dancing horses. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go look at the killing moon now. (laughs) All right. right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.